everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Insatiable Appetite. This is Melissa Abbott, Vice President of Culinary Insights, as well as Hartman Retainer Services, and I'm joined by my colleague, David Wright, who's manager of marketing, here, marketing manager, if you will, here at the Hartman Group. Delighted to speak with you today, nice David. Nice to be here. Thanks, Melissa. Yes, and so today, what we're going to do is take you through five trends for 2020. So the five trends that we've chosen here to share with you today are just kind of primers. They're, they're important in that they are more um, high-level thinking in terms of you know what, what you should be thinking of in terms of moving the needle, not just for 2020, but it's 2020 and beyond. So it's going to be less about liking cool ingredients and you know what new thing you should have as a call out um, on your packaging but more about this idea of going deeper into some of the topics that are already trends today. So um, we also want to let you know that this is part of um, our Ideas in Food Trends Report that is available to our Hartman Retainer Services clients. So if you're interested in learning more about these trends, reach out to us um, to learn about how you might want to become a Hartman Retainer Services uh, client member. So um, we're going to kick off with our very first trend. Um, and David's going to work with me here, and we're going to kind of pull these apart in a in a fun way. So what's our first trend for this year, David? Well, Melissa, we, we're launching it to 2020 with a, a, one of our uh, biannual studies on organic and natural. And we've been looking at organic buying behavior among consumers for over 20 years. And it's now a mega category. It's over $50 billion in sales. Um, we to say it's mainstream is sort of just a ridiculous understatement, and and really what's what's a, a question now is what's beyond organic, and and we know that the most active consumers in in food and beverage are already active in looking beyond those distinctions. So what um, might be some. Uh, distinctions beyond that. Well, that's really interesting because we, we know, as you just mentioned, David, that organic is mainstream these days, right? You can get right. it in all different categories within private label. The prices are coming down, so it's becoming a little bit more democratized, which is really cool. Um, but what we're seeing now is that that more progressive consumer, like they know that organic is good. It's a really good like base level, but now it's like, no, what else are you doing to show me that you really care about how my food is grown and, and and um, the food that I'm, you know, going to be, um, you know, spending uh, my dollars on. So one thing that we do know is that, you know, biodynamic and regenerative farming is clearly something that we see as a long-lasting trend. Um, we are going to be talking about that quite significantly in our organic report in 2020 in Q1. Uh, and we also know that carbon neutral is another uh, meaningful attribute that more and more companies are starting to take a closer look at and uh, saying that they are participating in this notion of carbon neutrality. And it might even be a call out. Um, so the, these, these call outs that we see in 2020 are shifting away from these more health motivated uh, call outs to be more uh, farm level distinctions, if you will. 
So what we see is that something like carbon neutral means that it's really investing in the soil. So the soil is going to be our path forward as a, a way to understand how to mitigate some of the effects of global warming. And so the consumers who really know a lot about this, the core consumers, if you will, they are talking about this idea of like, you know, feeding um, into the supply system, buying products uh, that are really contributing towards better soil health, more regenerative farming practices. So the more regenerative farming, uh, more regenerative the farming practice is, the more um, carbon is being drawn down. So essentially what that means is that the soil is going to be healthier. So the healthier soil means um, less carbon in the air, which means um, improvement in global warming. So that's why it's not just about this idea of, you know, let's just, you know, have grass fed and biodynamics. There's actually a lot of deeper meaning behind this for consumers uh, moving forward. And we do see this starting to mainstream in some categories more than others. And that could be, you know, things like grains and um, and seed oils, as well as, as beef uh, mm-hmm. would be another one as well. Mm-hmm. So that's something we can look forward to. Uh, well, that's great. Um, another trend that we're looking at is uh, this notion of plant-rich versus plant-based. You know, if there's any one trend, we've heard a lot about this past year, it's plant-based. Uh, here at the Hartman Group, we've been dismayed by a number of brands and products slapping plant-based on the front of the pack, hearkening back to the fat-free era, which we later discovered was fueled by sugars and hyper-processed carbohydrates. And it really... Um, this ref- what really about plant-rich is much more about a holistic and dualistic approach to plants and meat consumption. Can you talk a little bit about how consumers are viewing these differences? Yeah. So as you mentioned, David, we have seen plant-based all over almost every product with the exception of, jer- you know, meat jerky, right? Um, and so what we've seen now is that the proliferation of this idea of plant-based has become completely overwrought and watered down and to some extent meaningless. And to your point of it being somewhat like fat-free, like is it really, did fat-free really turn out to be good for us? Eh, not so much. And does it mean that plant-based is going to, you know, um, do your taxes, help you be skinny and solve all your problems? Really not so much. Um, And so what we do know is that that consumer who's a lot more engaged with their food and the topic of sustainability and organics and wellness, they, what they're doing is talking about this from a much more holistic perspective, as you mentioned, that it's more about being plant-rich because plant-based is really very like... um, it's very dogmatic, if you will. Whereas plant-rich, it it allows for a greater um, purview of a diet that might include some dairy products as well as um, some thoughtfully um, and, and consciously sourced meat products. It doesn't mean that you're going to eat a ton of it. Um, you're still going to have a plate that's really much more plant focused. Um, but the idea that, you know, you're not, um, going to feel like you've, uh, you know, done something wrong if you, if you didn't stick to your, your plant-based diet, um, makes it so that it's, it's a lot more flexible if you will. So this idea of clean ingredient panels uh, in plant-based is increasingly falling under the spotlight. And we've been saying here that we think consumers are catching on, especially in the the more progressive ranks of uh, the consumer realm. So the takeaway here is that be very cautious if you're going to be using plant-based on uh, as a call out on the front of your package um, and start to consider the idea of what plant-rich can actually do for you because this is supposed to mean 
that it is uh, really sourced from a more conscious uh, perspective and that the ingredients and the production methods are, are a little bit more mindful. So what about trend well, we number have, three? Trend, trend number three, <laughs> we're switching gears a little and we're looking back on our health and wellness study from this year, which had some really interesting findings. Uh, one of them was the idea that mental health, mental wellness uh, goes mainstream. So it's this idea that mindfulness and a connection to wellness and even sourcing foods along those lines is now something that consumers are thinking about. And this occurs in yet another profound era of anxiety. Anxiety became the number one managed health condition that we tracked, um, which is significant. Maybe you could talk a little bit about you know, how this connection between mental health and uh, mindfulness and food. And food. Food yeah. and mental wellness and mindfulness. There is a significant food connection here. And something uh, for those of us in the food industry need to be paying all, pretty close attention to because it's not a blip. It is something that's going to have very long-lasting um, impact. Uh, because we, as we consider, uh, you know, what kind of ingredients that we are are putting in the products that we craft, um, to the messages that we are sending consumers, uh, we're really seeing, as you mentioned, David, that consumers, particularly the younger consumers feel a lot more uh, able to speak to this idea of, of mental wellness and stress and anxiety. And I, th I just think it's so telling that in over 20 years of us surveying consumers on this topic, that stress and, and anxiety was the number one um, biggest health concern in 2019. That says a lot. But, you know, uh, paralleling that, we know that chefs like Sean Brock, and then there is also a foundation, Chefs with Issues. And, you know, with the death of Anthony Bourdain, uh, we're hearing a lot more chefs, uh, those in the food industry coming forward and talking about how difficult it is um, to, you know, you're coming from these, you know, the kitchens are really hot, it's really stressful. And just the idea of being able to manage one's anxieties and feelings, um, and actually being able to craft uh, food with more care and and, um, and thoughtfulness um, is is part of that. So there's you know not to be too woo woo here, but there's an energy that you know that we put into the food. And uh, top chefs, including David Chang, are talking about this notion of you know just kind of taking a beat and uh, being more mindful about you know how they run their kitchens, how they talk to their staff, um, and just being a little bit using their voices differently, using their communication styles differently. And with that, what's showing up on their menus are, is actually shifting a little bit. So um, we can really see how the idea of uh, hormones and cortisol, which is high, you know all about stress, when those levels kind of uh, get out of whack, um, it impacts our health. So we know that um, the idea of consuming uh, too much sugar, too many processed carbohydrates, highly refined vegetable oils, um, these are the things that can contribute towards if you're really not getting good or, high or quality sleep, and then you're eating foods that are going to detract from your health, um, there, you know, creates this, this uh, kind of, you know, never-ending cycle that you just kind of can't get out of that can lead to um, anxiety and depression and all kinds of things. So um, it behooves us, uh, in those of us in the, in the 
in the food industry to just think about, you know, what are we putting into the uh, foods that we're crafting these days? So um, with that, uh, this idea of, I did mention hormones and uh, the idea of uh, cortisol. And so we are going to, that's sort of a subtopic in our ideas in food this year of hormones and health. So now we're going to go into trend number four. Which it's a very good segue with talking about the mind-body connection because uh, one that um, we've identified, of course, is, is personal biometrics and this idea of tinkering with, with health, uh, using technology to, to monitor your personal wellness. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's obviously a growing trend. It what, is. What, it yeah. is. And of course, it's not going to be for everybody. So right. that doesn't mean that um, this group of consumers, the biohackers, the tinkers, if you will, that that's going to become, it's going to become more mainstream and more, you know, available. The prices of these gadgets and things like that are going to come down um, to some extent. But it also uh, means that there's, you know, they're the core of the wellness world. So they're always going to be kind of like leading the way in terms of they're doing these things. And then there's going to be a, a more mainstream um, expression of it that consumers who aren't going to go to these ex- these lengths and extent um, can also participate in. But in the meantime, we need to know what these core consumers are doing with these personal bio, uh, biometrics. And one example that's really, really interesting is about um, blood sugar. So when we think about blood sugar, uh, we know that that is a really great indicator of um, future health. So, you know, more and more consumers today um, have type 2 diabetes or um, they have pre-diabetes. And a lot of them say to us when we're interviewing them, like, it just happened one day. It just, you know, I didn't even know. But these core consumers, the progressive consumers, those are the ones who, you know, they're doing all this biohacking and they're paying more attention to the foods they eat, the amount of fat they're consuming. They might be, um, you know, doing intermittent fasting, becoming more of a fat burner than a sugar burner because fat, good fat burns cleaner than sugar. And um, so what they're doing is they're testing their blood sugar with really cool uh, glucose monitors um, after, the, you know, particularly in the morning um, or throughout the day and saying like, how do oats, how do I react when I consume oats or a banana or black beans? Um, and so they're getting these pers- this personal feedback so that they know like, hey, you know, I might eat oats and my blood sugar goes a little wonky. Whereas for you, David, it might be totally a great food for you. Like the fiber, the insoluble fiber, it all kind of is this nice little magical mix for you. Um, whereas, you know, I might do really well with bananas, which seems like it wouldn't be that great of a, a, you know, a sugar balancing food for whatever reason, my personal, um, chemistry works well with my aunt, but for you, for whatever reason, they cause your blood sugar to spike. And sometimes we just don't even know. We just consume these foods because we believe that they're good for us where, you know, they're touted as being good for us. Um, you know, what rice would be another example, how brown rice or whole wheat, um, impacts everyone very differently. So, uh, what this means is that we're going to see more and more consumers starting to take, uh, I don't want to say more control, but it's more of like an, they're more of a participant. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, rather than reacting to health issues, they're responding to them. And they're with that going to be aging, uh, more fitfully in, in the future rather than, you know, wind up one day going to their doctor and realize, oh my gosh, how did I wind up with type two diabetes? So it's about like kind of, you know, um, heading it off before things happen through the use of, um, personal biometrics, really fun, cool gadgets, um, the aura ring to indicate sleep patterns, uh, and really just kind of paying more attention to the foods that we eat uh, and put in our body. Sure. And we noticed our our food uh, 
food and technology report from this year had a strong intersection between tended to be younger consumers, but they're very active in technology and in plant-based foods, and there's just a big intersection there. It's not just young consumers, but we saw that in that report. But we do know that those younger consumers, they have a lot more interest in taking control over their health and less reliance on doctors, um, the med- the traditional medical community. So that's that's going to be an interesting one for the long term sure. and how more and more consumers are taking control of their health from a personal ingredient level basis. Sure. So um, what do we, we have one more one, we have more, one more trend, trend which, which was very significant in our sustainability 2019 study, and that was the rise of a huge sort of love-hate relationship with plastic waste. And we've talked about that in other podcasts, and it's a big deal because, uh, you know, consumers want to recycle. They, they want to participate yeah. and be active, but um, we're seeing just a lot of, uh, uh, they're looking for help. Yeah, they're with, looking with for help, and they're frustrated. Packaging waste, yeah. Totally, they're completely frustrated. I mean, even this time of year, you know, where everyone's getting deliveries um, to their front door for the most part um, for the holidays, and there's so much packaging, there's so much waste, but it saves us so much time being able to order online. Um, and then when it comes down to plastics and convenience and just thinking about how we are uh, eating less at home and we're, we're ordering more foods that are either from a deli or from fast casual, and there's packaging involved in everything that we do today. Uh, so it's become increasingly difficult. There's more a lot of guilt associations, even with the consumers who are most aware. So you know, consumers are throwing their hands up. So we're, we're taking a really close look at this idea of what single use plastic really means and how consumers can participate in, you know, consumer culture without feeling terribly uh, guilty about their, uh, their choices that they're making and that they can still have, you know, high quality products that are also convenient uh, and speak to Things that are, you know, whether they're truly biodegradable, consumers really want to understand these things more and how to more easily reuse packaging that doesn't get gross and you have to rinse things out. I mean, because there's a lot of, you know, offerings out there, but they don't always solve the issue. Like, for example, the, you know, reusable straw. I still have yet to see a consumer who's, you know, walking around with their reusable straw. So uh, I think one, um, another example is, is the straw category where we've seen uh, ingredients where there's been uh, methods used to create paper and this really neat uh, biodegradable plastic-esque straw that uh, is much better in landfills that, you know, won't cause all this harm and destruction in uh, in our waterways um, and to sea life. So it really does rely a lot on technology and being able to create solutions for consumers that they can still uh, participate in this notion of convenience, premium convenience uh, at, a, at a level that, you know, they feel comfortable with. Right. And, and culturally, they've been taught to recycle, and yet they've learned that China is no longer right. accepting the recycling products. So they're they're really looking for some assistance in, if, from an innovation standpoint and from even government and large entities, corporations to help them out. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, who knows, one day maybe we could be like Korea where all of the garbage is weighed 
And uh, there's more incentive from a financial perspective to reduce the amount of consumption that we participate in on a uh, daily and weekly basis. So who knows? Um, could happen in Seattle. It could happen. Well, <laughs> Seattle or maybe Berkeley might be one of the first places that could happen sure. or Denver. But in the meantime, um, feel free to reach out to us and uh, ask us about our sustainability uh, study from 2019, about our food and tech report from 2019 as well as um, becoming a Hartman Retainer Retainer Services member and being able to access our Ideas in Food uh, Trends deck and um, being able to access our consultants on a daily basis. So thank you so much, and thank you, David. Thanks, thanks, Melissa. 